between now and August, we're going to work through the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And um, so uh, <clears throat> looking forward to that series there. Um, got a developing preaching squad here, not necessarily a team, a preaching squad. It's very exciting. And you'll be exposed to their, uh, the grace on them from God as many, many different people will be helping us with uh, this series in terms of opening it up and, and preaching. It's a joy to be able to begin to see that gift coming through more and more in the church. Brilliant. Um, today's sermon is an overview of the book of Daniel. I want to just help you understand a little bit about the book and then also why we are going to be um, getting into this book um, as a church. What's the purpose? Um, and through it, obviously, look to just exalt Christ. This is not a lecture. This is a sermon. <clears throat> but I think it's important that before we begin to dig into each of the uh, various chapters as the weeks go on, that you understand a little bit about the book. Um, I'm going to give you a bit of historical context, a bit of um, literary context, just a couple of short comments about what kind of literature it is, the spiritual purpose of the book, and then we're going to look at um, why. why. Why are we going to do this as a church? So does that sound okay? Yeah. Good stuff. So let me just start by reading the first, I'm going to just read the first um, six verses of chapter one. And that will help us. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, that won't help. Thanks anyway. Um, I once had a moment like this in Parliament Hill Cafe with Daisy. We call it the custard cream moment. Thanks, Andy. <coughs> and it's where I just inhaled some custard cream dust <laughs> in the middle of a custard cream fest. Uh, <coughs> it all got out of hand. And I ended up <coughs> making ridiculous noises for the rest of our conversation. So... If you're listening online, sorry. <clears throat> the human side of um, preaching the divinely inspired word of God. All right. <clears throat> no, no more laughing, please. Right. <clears throat> Feel free to laugh. That's fine. Okay. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your word. Thank you. I pray that you'd help me um, to communicate it in a way that really it does honor you and magnify you and reveal you. Holy Spirit, please use um, just my sort of simple words to um, bring life freshly into people's souls and to bring truth and revelation. Pray for all those that are listening, Lord, that in the midst of life's pressures, in the midst of um, life's unanswered questions, in the midst of um, seasons of great joy and seasons of great sadness, we just pray that you give them ears to hear what you are saying. We'll be enabled to concentrate, enabled to focus, enabled to be um, rescued from just crazy distraction the whole time we just pray for your peace on minds and hearts and spirits in jesus name amen <clears throat> okay so historical context so if you don't understand the general story of the old testament here's what happened in a nutshell um 
through Moses, God brought his people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. Um, and, uh, and then they were in a wilderness for 40 years before God took them into the land of promise, so they, where, they, where they conquered the inhabitants, drove them out, and um, took up the land of, of uh, modern-day um, Israel and Palestine. Um, and, uh, and, and then for the next... Um, while didn't have kings but had judges so judges were really men that, that god um and one woman that god raised up over time to um, help to uh, lead them as a people but they were very different from the other people around them however the people of israel wanted to be like the people around them so god had said you're holy you're special you're my people and as you live in my ways those nations around you will see what kind of a god i am and, and, and the light will shine into their darkness. However, the people of Israel instead wanted to be like the other nations. And so constantly uh, intermarried and, and, and with the people, they brought their own gods. And so there came this constant compromise of worshipping not just the living God, but other gods made with hands, which kept arousing the righteous anger of God. And so there was this cycle. If you read the book of Judges, it's quite depressing. It's a constant cycle of getting in trouble through acting like this and then God giving them over to their enemies and then them crying out to God and repenting and then God delivering them through a judge and then the same thing again. You find it round and round it goes. <clears throat> and then the people of Israel say, we want to be like the other nations and have a king. They've got a king. We want a king like the other nations. And so then you get into the, um, the, the, the era of the kings and it, doesn't, it, do, it starts off really well. Well, it starts off okay with Saul and gets really good under David. Um, Solomon lives in the good of what David has built and takes things even further. But really, through Solomon's reign, you begin to see the cracks forming. And then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, takes over from him. And then um, there's a split in the nation of Israel. Ten tribes go to the north, two to the south. And then the, book, uh, the books of Kings and Chronicles uh, really tracks uh, how the nation does under those kings. And it's... Um, inconsistent <laughs> uh, to, put a, to put a nice light on it. There's a lot of real bad stuff that happens. And God constantly warns them, if you keep doing this in the same way that I ejected the nations out of this land before you, I will eject you and exile you. Um, and they fundamentally ignore him. And then in the, in the 700s, um, the Assyrians um, conquer the northern ten tribes and um, take, take, carry them off and that nation's uh, destroyed. And in, in, the, in the 500s, the Babylonians come and um, through, I guess, fundamentally three uh, various attacks over a number of decades, um, Judah uh, um, and Jerusalem is fundamentally raised to the ground. And that's really what's going on. That's really what's going on here. And a 70 year exile begins that Jeremiah prophesied uh, would happen um, before the people returned to their land under King Cyrus of Persia, uh, who destroyed the Babylonians. Um, and then really what happens there is that they return and their expectations are high uh, and they rebuild the temple, but um, the glory of God never fills that temple. And so they're left with this question uh, where the prophets have said, had said, when you return, the glory of the latter house will be more than the glory of the former house, but it clearly wasn't. And they kind of are confused by this and what's going on here. And then there's 450 years approximately of prophetic silence. No more prophets are raised up. And then we've got John the Baptist and Jesus. Now, <clears throat> where we are picking up this story is probably the first exile of the three that Jerusalem experienced from the Babylonians. And so under the first exile, it was they, they chose, as we read in the text, just um, the, some of the royal family, nobility, youths without blemish. So they sort of went, if you like, for the cream of society. And Daniel was a part of that. So there's a bit of historical context 
as to what's going on there. Why is, why, when was this book written? It's probably the most contested, argued about book in terms of when it was written. And the, the two views are fundamentally either um, 540 to 530 BC or one, between 168 and 165 BC. It's a very big difference between those two theories, about 400 years. Now, why is it contested? Well, there's a number of little reasons, but the big reason is this. <clears throat> World historical events are prophesied in the book of Daniel that then happen in between the periods of 500 BC and 100 BC. So if, if Daniel was really written in the 500 BCs, then there must be a God who knows the future. There is literally um, no way you can question whether or not there is a God who knows the end from the beginning if Daniel was written in the 500s. Because the accuracy of, of, of prophecy around world events, particularly um, the, the Greek Empire and everything that happened after Alexander the Great died, um, up really through to the coming of Christ, is extraordinary. Uh, the, the prophetic um, predictions that cover hundreds of years, uh, you can argue some of them are fulfilled to the day. So if it was written then, then there is absolutely, um, from a very empirical perspective, a God who knows the future. You can't argue it. Um, as such, it's hugely contested as to when it was written. That's the main reason why. There are other reasons around it, but that's the main reason, the main reason why. Um, a, little, a few words on the literature. It's written in two languages. The, the, Daniel was written in Hebrew and Aramaic. Now, they're not, they're not hugely different um, languages, but they are different languages. And um, it's not massively, I don't think, important why, but it's just worth... Uh, letting you know that from chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 4a is written in Hebrew, and then chapters 8 to 12 Hebrew, and in between that sandwich is written in Aramaic. Um, so something that you'll just hear about. I don't think it has huge uh, spiritual significance, but there you go. But here is something that you, is worth noting, that it really is a book of two halves. Chapters 1 to 7 is historical narrative. Chapters 8 to 12 is kind of what you'd call prophetic, apocalyptic. If you've ever read Daniel... The first seven chapters, you'll be going, yeah, okay, yeah, all right, I understand this. And then <laughs> and you get to chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and you're increasingly scratching your head as to this book has really changed. It doesn't seem like the same book I was reading a minute ago. It's because what happens is, is that the last few chapters really record the visions that Daniel had, which what you often find in spiritual visions is that it's hugely pictorial. The language is, is symbolic, pictures, images. And um, unless you kind of know how to interpret or understand what phrases mean what, it can just lose you. You'll find a similar experience in the book of Zechariah, if you go into Zechariah, and parts of the book of Revelation. So, um, that's, so it's just worth bearing that in mind. We've given Dan Hayter the last few chapters. Um, <laughs> he deserves it <clears throat> um, for being so clever and gifted. So um, that'll be in August, um, with the kids in, short services. So it's like, Dan... <laughs> You want to you want to you want to be like that? That's what you're going to get. <clears throat> He's on holiday, so he can't even defend himself. The spiritual purpose of the book being written. I mean, there's so many things you could say, but what's encouraging is the two things I've got written here are the two songs that came. It's very encouraging. The Holy Spirit tying it all together. It's about the sovereignty of God and the, and the faithfulness of God. That's what the two songs are about. So yeah, you're hearing the Lord. You're singing songs inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, it's great, isn't it? So really, the, the book of Daniel will teach us that God is sovereign, which means he really is king overall. He's king over individuals, and he's king over his promises in the sense that he can fulfill them. 
he has the power to fulfill them. Right? It's, you haven't got a question, will he be able to do it? Yeah, he can. So we learn that, and we will learn that through the book of Daniel. And also he's faithful. He's faithful towards individuals, and he's faithful to keep his promises. Yes, this is the thing. If you make a promise, you need two things to be able to fulfill it. Number one, you need to be faithful, someone who actually cares about fulfilling what you said you're going to do. It's a character issue. Second thing is you've got to have the power to actually perform it. It's an issue of strength. Daniel teaches us God is sovereign and God is faithful. And so we'll be um, looking at that as we go through um, this book. Um, And also there's a call to devoted holiness to God through Daniel's life. That's what you'll pick up. You'll pick up this extraordinary, um, extraordinary devotion to God Daniel had in the midst of huge pressures um, that, that will be a source of encouragement and inspiration and will point us towards Jesus, who is obviously the ultimate worshipper of the Father. One other thing to say in terms of spiritual purpose is what you, what you find about the Bible is it kind of has a way of tying together loads of different narratives, loads of different stories. And one of the stories that goes from the start to the finish is what you might call a tale of two cities. You get this idea of the, the, the city of God, um, and you see it you know, right, right, right from the sort of um, earliest kind of part in the book of Genesis, this idea that God is creating a people that will become you know, this glorious city. And in the book of Revelation, we read about this, the new Jerusalem coming down like a bride and this the city of God that's come to perfection God is God is building his city but then you have the city of man if you like represented by Babylon so the tower of Babel Babel Babylon same place so the tower of Babel was kind of symbolic of man's best efforts to reach God we can do this if we just club together we can exhort ourselves we can get to where we want to be we can reach the pinnacle of our evolutionary trajectory it's kind of the idea um, and things like pride and pleasure are, are all around the whole idea of Babylon and Babel. And so, obviously, this book being set in Babylon is hugely symbolic. You've got you've got a man who is called to be who's, 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 who's pulled out of the city of God, which Jerusalem represented back then. He's pulled out of that and he's placed into Babylon. And we're all looking on, thinking, "How's he going to do? What's going to happen? We've got a citizen of, of God's city." Placed right in the heart of the city of man, Babylon. How's he going to cope? Is he going to survive? Is he going to thrive? If so, how? So, this, it, you, so the tale of two cities really comes, uh, really comes through strongly in this book of Daniel. Um, anything else to say on this at this point? No. So why the series? Why are we, why are we doing this? Because at, at first glance, there's not many similarities between Daniel and us. You think, well, what's the relevance? Why would we want to look at the book of Daniel? So the differences are things like he was kidnapped. He was basically in this city because he was not many of us are in London because we've been kidnapped. <laughs> okay, Most of us chose to come here. Some of us were just brought up here. Many of us chose to come here. Actually, we're really excited about being here. That's quite different. Daniel was the spoils of war. Most of us have probably not experienced war. I know some of us have. Most of us haven't. And so, again, it's quite hard to relate to what it would be like to be the spoils of war. If you read history, you'll find that through through war, people are constantly displaced. We're obviously seeing it more and more and more um, in our world today, that there's this displacement of often millions of people through war. Daniel's one of those. Daniel, through war, has been displaced and is in another nation. So again, hugely relevant to what we've seen in, uh, in, in the world around us, but not massively relevant to most of our personal experience, though for some it will be. Thirdly, Daniel's living under a dictatorship. We live under a democracy, fundamentally quite different things. 
we have the um, freedom to choose who rules and reigns over us. Not so in this context here. So again, it's not really very, very different. It's a despot. It's someone who is ruling by their own sovereign power. Um, Nebuchadnezzar and then later in the book, um, Belshazzar and then, and then Darius and then at the end obviously get to Cyrus. And then fourthly, Daniel's nobility or royalty. Now there may be one or two of us that could trace back, <laughs> we go back long enough, um, we, we say, oh, I'm pretty noble, I'm pretty royal, but many of us, uh, we won't, that won't be the conclusion when we check out our family line. It's, you know, Paul says, not many of you were, that were called were wise in the eyes of this world. Not many, not many. Some, but not many. And so for many of us, we're very normal, normal people um, who have very humble lineage, um, if we're even aware of what our lineage is. So there's many things you think, well, what's the, why? But the, on closer look, there are some very, very significant spiritual similarities. So let's look at some of those themes that come out through the book of Daniel. They should come up on the slide here. I'm just trying to, be, trying to get um, some of the slides going a bit more helpfully this week. So the first, thing that you, the, the first question that is raised through the book of Daniel is, where is your ultimate allegiance? That theme comes through really, really strongly. Where is your ultimate allegiance? Because in Babylon, you know, you could worship who you like, really. It wasn't, it wasn't, there wasn't a huge insistence on what, what religion or what God you must worship all the time. There were moments of pressure in the story where suddenly the king makes an image. Now you've got to worship this image. But generally speaking, in Babylon, you could worship who you like. But obviously, at the end of the day, you had to obey the state. Your ultimate allegiance was to be to the state. Sound familiar? It's very familiar. There, there, there are values that undergird our state which our state requires of you to be your actually your ultimate allegiance. And where the Bible teaches something different, shh, you're, not, you're not to speak up because you will be instantly turned upon, rounded upon, bullied, labelled, attacked. So even though you look at well, we're a democracy, it's quite different. Actually, there's quite a, um, quite a strong, quite a fervent, quite a bullish kind of spirit behind our democracy, whereas there are certain things you have to believe in and ascribe to, and if you don't, you're, you're going to be quickly, quickly labelled as something not nice. The state demanded your ultimate allegiance and wasn't massively fussed about your religion as long as you kept it private. Sound familiar? <laughs> okay, so worship who you like, just don't go on about it. And don't you try and get me to be interested in it. This is a private thing. Keep it out of the public domain. It's a very real challenge that Daniel faced. We'll see what he did, whether he obeyed that or not. There was a particular value system that must be obeyed or you could find yourself in hot water. Sound familiar? And these are, where is your ultimate allegiance? These are the things that would have been breaking in upon Daniel's um, consciousness as he entered into Babylon. Um, what, what am I about? Where, where do I belong? Do I belong here? What, what does Jerusalem mean to me? Who am I? And these kinds of things would be the next point. But there's an issue of ultimate allegiance. And, you know, us as a nation are right in the thick of this whole EU um, Brexit thing. It's huge. It's getting more and more passionate. The debates are getting more and more personal. It's astonishing the amount of emotion that is raised through. All I would want to say is this, is that both the UK as a nation and the EU um, take a very clear second place compared to the kingdom of heaven. We are to engage with it, but we are to recognize that we are belong to something that transcends it. It's really important. Otherwise, you will engage with it in an unhealthy way. 
what you're, you're thinking, what you what you'll end up doing is putting your hope ultimately in something that cannot deliver what our world needs. God has established his king, the Bible says, on his holy hill. His name is Jesus. The earth and everything in it has been promised to him by the Father. He will inherit the whole, all the nations of the whole earth. This is not fairy tale. This is not pie in the sky. This is where our planet and our creation is going. Jesus will inherit the nations. So we are to engage in it. It's important, absolutely. If you're in a democracy, engage with the democracy. Yes. But do not put your ultimate hope or in it or, or give it your ultimate allegiance. Because you're a citizen of heaven if you're a believer. That's what you are. The Bible says, so we'll, we'll, we'll dig around this whole idea of where's your allegiance? Where, when push comes to shove, when the pressure's on, when you're cornered, where, what, what, what are you about? Where do you sign your name? What's the stamp on your forehead? Who do you belong to? It's massive. Secondly, um, we're going to look at this whole thing of who defines your core identity? You see... Babylon gave Daniel and his friends new names, actually changed their names, and with it, new identities. We'll, re- we'll hear about that in the sermon next week. They were to be assimilated into the culture of the city. This is who you are now. Sound familiar? This is who you are. This is what you value. This is what you won't value. This is what you think is important. This is who you are. Babylon had an agenda for Daniel. And it was in the opposite direction of God's agenda for him. It was definitely God's agenda that he should be in Babylon. But Babylon's agenda for him, who he was to become, no. God had an opposite agenda for him. We'll dig around in that. This is huge stuff, hugely important. He was caught in the middle of competing agendas. You are. You are caught in the middle of competing agendas. Do you know that? You don't live in a vacuum you live in a world system that the Bible says is built on values that are opposite to the love of the Father. The air that you breathe is not the love of the Father. The air that you breathe as you're around about doing life is one more of boastful pride and lust and those kinds of things. To gender for you is to drag you into that and make you defined by that. God says, no, I want to be defined by my love. And that's not some just sentimental, wishy-washy idea. It is a very robust state of heart that flies in the opposite direction. Of boastful pride and lustful desires. Powerful. Really powerful stuff. The voices in our city will tell you all kinds of things about yourself. Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to listen to? There's a lot of voices out there. Telling you all kinds of things about who you are. Most of the advertising you get underneath it. There's a philosophy driving it. This is who you are. This is what you're about. This is what you need. You want to be this. Then you need to have this. Who are you? can't help but be struck by the way that jesus is see all, all the characters in the old testament point to christ right he's they're like types they like point to him right so don't get caught up on daniel get caught up with jesus as we go through daniel all of the preachers are going to be taken to jesus right daniel's a signpost look at what jesus does. jesus names his disciples and it's just so liberating for them jesus speaks names he gives them nicknames but they're more than nicknames they're names that kind of mark out who they are he looks at peter I mean, this man who's going to wobble and deny him in the, in the pressure moment says, you're a rock. What? Don't, don't you know what he's like? Yeah. You're right. he, he speaks things over people and he calls it out of them. He speaks things over people and, and, then, and then as the way only he can do, when he speaks like that, it becomes the reality. It's the power of the words of Jesus. It's what he does. 
looks at James and John, and they're busy calling down fire from heaven at the totally inappropriate moments, or trying to at least. And he has to rebuke them and say, well, get your head straight. But he still says, oh, you're the sons of thunder. He doesn't, he doesn't squash them. He doesn't belittle them. He says, I can see, you know, you've got it totally wrong, but I can see what's in your heart. Yeah, fire of God. He sees Nathaniel and he says, ah, behold, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. How do you know me? I saw you sitting under the fig tree. And Nathaniel kind of says, ah, you're the Christ. You know, he says, because I said I saw you sitting under a fig tree, you're going to see angels ascending and descending on me. You know, he's like bringing him into his brain. But he says, I can see you. You're true. You're true to the core. There's no deceit in you. And his whole life begins to unravel. He's getting deconstructed and reconstructed in Jesus. That's what he does. He names us. He names us. So Babylon names Daniel. This is who you are now. Let's see how Daniel deals with that. It's very interesting. Thirdly, this whole question of what's got your heart? What's got your heart? So what's got your ultimate allegiance? Who are you? What's got your affections? What's got your, oh, what's got your desire? You see, Babylon was proud and impressive. It was a proud and impressive city. Sound familiar? Showed some Californians around our city just the other day. And that's like, oh, took them to my favorite thing. And, you know, it's, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful city. It is a wonderful city. But there's a, there's, a, there's a dark side to that. Daniel had to learn he could only truly love the city if he didn't love the city. You can't love the city if you love the city. What I mean is this. You can't truly love the city where God has called you if the city has first place in your heart. You'll become a slave to it. You'll be corrupted by it. You'll be seduced by it. Only when you are free from that kind of worshipping, idolatrous love, and Jesus has your heart from that, then you can love the city. Then you can serve the city. Then you can be a blessing to the city. Because it doesn't have your heart. Big things. Real big things. The only way Daniel could escape the lure of Babylon was through a passionate devotion to the city of God. The only way you can escape the lure of this city... The bright lights, the offers, the money, sex, power. The only way you can genuinely escape all of that is through passionate devotion to the city of God. A lukewarm devotion to God, his purposes and his city will not give you the power to not be seduced by the city. Yeah, it's got to be it's got to be hot. It's got to be it's got to be fiery. We see that in Daniel. We see it in Jesus. Jesus was Offered the short route to wealth, power, and glory, wasn't he? By Satan in the wilderness. He showed him the glory and the wealth of the nations. And said, it's been given to me to give to whoever I like. All you've got to do is bow down and worship me. And it's yours. It's a shortcut to what is actually his inheritance, the wealth and glory of the nations. But it's just a shortcut. It's not the route. Jesus chooses the route of the cross. Why? Because his father had his heart. He loved the father. So he's able to say, no, I'm going to go the way of the cross. And not circumvent that, because I know that's the will of the Father. You see, these things are big. Fourthly, under pressure to perform. Now, notice this about Daniel, you see. Daniel was introduced to a system that judged and valued him on the basis of his appearance and impressiveness. Sound familiar? So it's all about, you know, get the, the noble ones, the royal ones, the, the intelligent ones. And then, you know, they've got to eat certain foods and they've got to look right. And uh, there's, this is what he lived in. This is the environment they lived in. This is the air that Daniel breathed. It was not grace air. It was the grace. When we talk about the grace of God in the Bible, what we're saying is this is that we're saying uh, 
nothing to do with who we are and what we've done. God loves us and has sent his son to die for us so we can be reconciled to him. And, 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 and no argument about, but I'm not worthy or I'm not beautiful or I'm not this or I'm not that. None of those arguments will do any good because God's grace is, I love you because I love you. It's the grace of God. That's not what Babylon or London, that's not how they operate. How you dress, what you look like, the way you hold yourself. None of these things are inherently wrong, but that is how people will value you. That's how people will. I mean, some of the statistics, some of the surveys and the investigations people do in terms of, in terms of um, the, the way that people find success in life are frightening. Frightening. If your hair's a certain color, you know, wear certain clothes. Because the way... There's this, we're so superficial, we're so shallow, we're so, so shallow. So um, Daniel spent most of his days in a very clear pecking order full of envy and ambition. That's how he lived. Some of you, you know what it's like at work, you know it's like that. There's a ladder, it's very clear. And you, you, you can very easily fall into this idea of where am I and understand yourself in terms of where you are on the ladder of, of, um, of progress. Daniel had to learn how to navigate this ungodly system with wisdom and conviction. Now, here's something I want to just say, a, a comment to, um, in terms of this will be relevant for numbers of you in the church. Numbers of you came here to London, joined this church as dreamers. You had dream to fulfill. And in the last year, year and a half, some of you, it's happened. Now, things take different times, got us a different track for each of different time scale for all of us but it just so happens that over, over the last year year and a half through knowing some of you pastoring you helping out some of you you've suddenly you, you've broken through it's opened up the thing you longed for uh, you thought god had called you to do it but you know you don't want to be presumptuous bang it's happened you're in it and um what happens now because you can be naive and think well, once that happens then you know we're through actually no it's just a whole new set of challenges <laughs> It's great, praise God, but you've got a whole new set of challenges now. And will you sell your soul? Will you sell your soul to this pecking order, this kind of shallow, superficial thing? Or will you maintain a conviction in, in Christ about doing things God's way now that you're in it? It's one thing, and it's a real thing to hold the line when you're not in it. It's a real thing because you're thinking, because I'm holding the line here, it could mean that I'm not getting the breakthrough. That's very, very real. But once you get the breakthrough in a godly way, you've got a whole new set of challenges to navigate. How do I give off the aroma of Jesus in this setting and in this world now? How, how do I maintain my convictions? How do I keep a clear conscience? How, you know, how do I learn to say no in a gentle way? Whoa. These are real big hearts things this is this is where the rubber hits the road this is the real stuff and um you know if you read the gospels and soak in the way jesus's refusal to live up to expectations he just refuses he, some of the people thought this messiah he's going to be a he's going to be a military leader he's going to take us through and they try and crown him king he disappears disappears not having it other people thought, you know, look at him. He's hanging around with the tax collectors and the sinners. And he got a reputation for being a glutton and a drunkard. I mean, he was accused. He was marginalized. But he would not live up to the expectations of others. I mean, Jesus, Jesus has won the victory in terms of how to live for God. And he takes us with him in his victory. 
We, we, it's not a case of Jesus says, this is it, now, 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 now just copy me. He, empower, he brings us into his victory and empowers us with his spirit and says, I'm going to take you into my victory. Okay? It's not just, if Jesus just did it really well and then it's us do it, that's not good news. That's not the gospel. That's really bad news. That's like, oh no. <laughs> that's like, I can't do that. Right? It's not that. It's Jesus saying, I have done it. It is finished. Welcome into my victory. Now I'm going to make you brand new. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to teach you how to walk in my ways. Isn't it good? Gospel. It's the gospel. Jesus knows how to do it. Jesus knows how to do it. And then the final thing to talk about is maybe the opposite end of this whole dreamers thing is the casualties of the city. In the story of Daniel, we do come across many who don't do too well in the end. We, we come across people sort of, you know, killed in fiery furnaces, eaten by lions. I mean, it doesn't go well for them in the city. Okay? Um, the reality is that the city of Babylon, spiritually speaking, chews people up and spits them out. That's the system of Babylon. It will, it will offer you all money, sex power, draws you in, and then it sucks the life out of you and spits you out. That is what happens if you succumb to that system. And... Um, in the story of Daniel, through real lives and powerful visions, we learn that true success can only be measured in light of the eternal kingdom of heaven. What, what comes through in the book is this competing eternal kingdom. So different from this city of Babylon. Such a different thing. And um, there, I'm sure there are those among us. You, maybe you feel chewed up and spat out. Maybe you look at your life and you think, you know what? I've wasted decades. I've wasted years. I've wasted months. And you think, I've bought in. What, what happens to me now? I've bought into this. I am in the process of being chewed. <laughs> As I'm listening to your sermon, I want you to know I'm being chewed. I'm, I'm, I'm just about to be spat out. You might, that's maybe how you feel. That maybe where your life is at. And you think, well, what, 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 where do I go from here? Well, I want to encourage you. You know, Jesus appeared to be a casualty, didn't he, when he came to the city? Comes into Jerusalem. Yay! A few days later, everyone's baying for his blood. Crucify him. Crucify him. Shouting out. But actually, when he went to the cross, that's where he won the great victory. And it's never too late to join with Jesus and embrace the life of the cross and experience resurrection. It's never too late. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you've experienced, no matter how chewed up and spat out you feel, no matter how used and abused you feel, no matter how let down and disappointed you feel, no matter how many people you've let down and disappointed, no matter how much shame, guilt, regret you've got, it's never too late to come to Jesus at the cross, be forgiven for your sins, and then learn to walk the way of the cross with Jesus and come into the newness of life. It really isn't. Jesus said, I will not cast away anyone who comes to me. There's a promise there. You can bank that. You can take that to the bank, okay? And it will, it will come good. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be rescued. So if you're here as a casualty, you think, I've, I, I bought into this. What now? It's not too late, brother, sister. You can know Jesus. I want to end just by looking at this one little verse just quickly in verse 3. Just, it just jumped out to me when I was reading the other day. It says, chapter 1, verse 3. The king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, to Babylon. Well, where it says they're the royal family... If you look down in your footnotes, it will say, the Hebrew says this, of the seed of the kingdom. 
of the seed of the kingdom. So you've got someone who's of the seed of the kingdom. Kingdom of God. Obviously here it's talking about Israel, but spiritually you've got someone who's a, he's of the seed of the kingdom of God. He's, a, he's about a different thing. He's under a different government. He's under the government of the Lord. All right? And that seed is pulled, plucked out and is planted into the heart of Babylon. And you think, oh, <laughs> what's going to happen? Well, when you take the seed of the kingdom and you plant it in Babylon, there's a few things that happen. Exciting, dangerous, unexpected and miraculous things. Because Jesus said that the kingdom is like a bit of yeast in a loaf. Undramatic to first appearances, but you put it in there, you work it in, it affects the whole thing. You will see the impact of this one man on the most powerful kingdom on earth as we look at this book. At all costs, though, the royal seed must remember and love who they truly are in order to be able to truly love the city and not be conformed to it. You've got to learn who you are. You've got to know who you are so you know what to say yes to and what you say no to. So you know when to jump, when you're told to jump, and when you're told to say, I'm not jumping. You've got to know that, and you've got to love that, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, be able to stand your ground on that. Then you see impact. Then impact happens. And then finally, Jesus has shown us how to do it. We're not left without a witness. Daniel has shown us how to do it. Bring it on. Amen? Bring it on. We, we have been called here to be part of what Jesus is doing. He's building a city within a city. That's what he's doing through the church. He's building a city within a city. That city is to be totally engaged with the city. And yet on another level, disengaged. Totally engaged and yet on a kind of a heart, eternal, purest, deepest affections level. Take it or leave it. Because my affection is his. So I love this city, but I'm here because Jesus called me here. Jesus calls me away, I'm gone. Okay? Yeah, that's, that's it. Why? I'm his. We are his. We are his people. And I just believe through this, through, this, through this study in the book of Daniel, we will be equipped. We will be refined. We will be defined, redefined. We will be established. We will be enabled to be salt and light in this rotting, dark place. And to give off the, the wonderful aroma of Jesus we heard about at the conference. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand? <clears throat> the band's going to come up. It's going to pray. Thanks, guys. Thank you for helping us musically so far. We're very blessed to have you. Here we go. Yeah, if you want to use the space, please do come and take 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 the space. We're going to pray for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful book that was written. Thank you, Lord. It's for our instruction. It's for our encouragement. It's for our warning. It's just to help us, Lord. And we commit this next few months to you, June, July, August. We pray that we would be really shaped by the truth in this book. Lord, for, for the good of what you're doing in us, what you're doing through us, what you're doing in this city of London that you care about. We thank you you love this city. We thank you you don't love this city. We thank you you love this city. 
And we thank you, you don't love this city. Help us to manifest that same, that same likeness to you. That we would love this city, but that we would not love this city. Help us, Lord, I pray, to love our neighbours. Help us to love our colleagues. Help us to love those that we rub shoulders with. Help us to love the wonder, the glory, to look around and see this place full of your image. And yet help us learn, Lord God, to hate the values, Lord, around kind of just the dark values of kind of um, lust, the dark values of uh, selfishness and self-obsession, Lord, the, the dark things that kill so many people. Help us learn to hate them so we can really love and really serve and really make a difference. Lord, thank you that you are on us for this. And we just say, Lord, we're up for it. We're up for it. Amen.